The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Irreverent. Entertaining. Cool. You're listening to L.A. Talk Radio. Listening to All Things Therapy with Lisa Tahir only on LA Talk Radio. Hello there, and welcome to All Things Therapy. I'm your host, Lisa Tahir. Today is is episode 196, and if you don't know, I'm a licensed clinical social worker. I practice as an intuitive psychotherapist, and I am available at this time for remote therapy sessions by phone, Skype, Zoom, and FaceTime. The best way to reach me is through my website, nolatherapy.com. It's the abbreviation for New Orleans, Los Angeles, therapy.com. I divide my time between both of those cities and have for the last five and a half years Today, I am with you coming from Los Angeles, and I just did a quick Facebook Live sharing that I think one of the best gifts I have to offer during this time is my podcast. The theme and mission is to change consciousness one conversation at a time. My guest today, who's going to be with us in moments, is doing that through this book that is coming out in just a couple weeks on April 14th. And um, before I introduce her, because I'm delighted to have her on, please subscribe to this podcast if you're not on iTunes, Google Play, on Stitcher. The quickest way is, again, to go to nolatherapy.com. And there's a button that says LA Talk Radio Podcast, and it gives you options which platform you want to subscribe on. I welcome your review and your rating. It helps me a lot to boost my visibility, and I love doing this. I feel really happy to have meaningful work right now, getting you guests and information that can help keep you in a positive mindset with what we're all going through collectively and on our planet And um, I have my book coming out. There's also a button on my website, and it's about healing our core wounding through empathy and self-forgiveness. And I spent the last three and a half years writing this book. It's coming out with Inner Traditions Publisher in November and available for pre-sale right now through nolatherapy.com and on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Inner Traditions Publisher. Okay, I want to switch to my guest because there's so much she has to offer. We're going to be with Myra Goodman. She found her father's unfinished manuscript after his death in 2012. And her father is Mendek Rubin. He survived the Holocaust and immigrated to New York City from Poland. 
He became an inventor with multiple U.S. patents, and Myra has spent the last four years researching and compiling his writings with her own findings and research and thoughts to release what I can tell you is a beautiful book titled Quest for Eternal Sunshine, A Holocaust Survivor's Journey from Darkness to Light. And you will feel better after reading this book. I know sometimes we might want to shy away from intense topics like the Holocaust, thinking it's really painful to be with the experiences of the people that lived through it. And that while that's true on one hand, it is so important to remember what these individuals went through. And Mendek and Myra's book, it's just, this book gives you tools to change your own mindset and transform your own life. Mendek shares his inner thought processes of how he dismantled his own fear-based thoughts and changed his own mind. And he adopted a new paradigm of beliefs through visualization and affirmations, through his writing and creativity. He healed himself, and this book offers that to you. Myra Goodman herself and her husband, Drew, are pioneers in their own right, in the world of organic food and farming. Who doesn't know or doesn't eat lettuce and such from Earthbound Farms, the largest grower of organic produce in the world? And Myra was one of four farmers chosen by the James Beard Foundation and the U.S. Department of State to represent the United States in a prominent video at the entrance to the U.S. Pavilion at the 2015 World's Fair. Additionally, Myra has appeared on shows like Oprah, Regis and Kelly, Good Morning America. She's been featured in hundreds of publications, including People Magazine, Forbes, The New York Times. She herself is the author of three cookbooks, and her and her husband have a farm in Carmel Valley. And Myra, I'm just delighted to have you on today. Welcome. Thank you for having me and for the great work you're doing. I can't wait to buy your book. I'm going to go pre-order as soon as we're done with our interview. Thank you. That means so much to me. Yeah, no, it it sounds like what you are doing is exactly the same work that my dad did. And I think, you know, this time right now, it's the kind of work that we all need to do. We we have this incentive and this opportunity to, to develop a place of love and safety inside ourselves, no matter what's happening in the outside world. So it's so important. It is so important. And I have to say, I didn't expect the book to take the twist and turns that it did. I was captivated reading it this week. It was such a nice reprieve and um, just, I wondered what it was like for you and, and let's start where you're comfortable, but I can't imagine stumbling upon this manuscript in 2012 after your dad passed. I wonder if that's a place to start or, or not. Yeah. You know, we could talk about that. So, so my dad was born a Hasidic Jew in Poland in 1924 between the two world wars and, um, you know, had a, had a very traumatic childhood, partially because he was dyslexic. And back then they didn't 
understand dyslexia. So he kept failing school, failing out of Hader, which was the Jewish studies for the, for the little Jewish boys. And his father was a scholar and was so disappointed with him and just thought he didn't try and he didn't care or that he was stupid. So, you know, he had, he had that going on in his life. And then the trauma of the Holocaust and all the years leading up to the Holocaust and then he was in a slave labor concentration camp for three years while almost his whole family was murdered in Auschwitz. Yes. Um, so, so, he, so I'm, I'm just giving the readers a, li- a little bit no, of background good. for his yes. life. So he came to America, an orphan, in 1946. He had a big family. He had, there were six kids in his family. Only one of his little sisters survived. Came to America in 1946 with a sixth-grade education, not a penny to his name, no skills, um, didn't, he didn't speak, speak English. English, right? Yes. Yeah, didn't speak English, that. and um, and and he was he was he was but but he was this, he was, he was a brilliant inventor and just very very curious his whole life. Um, so so he came to America and he didn't go back to being religious. Everyone else, his sister and his extended family, went went you know got got very religious again. They're actually all Orthodox now. His entire family, um, and that we can we can circle back to that because you know basically my dad was sort of like the black sheep. He mm. didn't become religious again. He he really became a searcher and eventually a searcher of all these different spiritual traditions. Um, so I grew up so far removed from my Orthodox family. So part of this process was actually discovering them. Um, so, so, um, so if we start when I found the yeah. manuscript, um, so this is the thing, my dad never talked about his past. Neither of my mother's also a Holocaust survivor and they mm-hmm. never talked about their past. And that is very common. Apparently very few people that have had that, 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 that amount of trauma actually like to discuss it. You know, apparently yes. that's, that's typical. So I didn't know anything about my dad's life. I didn't know how many siblings he had. I didn't know the name of his parents. I, I didn't, I really didn't know anything. And I, I've lived like a kind of fast and furious life. For people who read the book, you've read the book, you can see that I grew up in this new age spiritual community in upstate New York. You know, I had a very different kind of life. And um, and I'm going to let you kind of lead where we go from my initial sort of overview. Sure. Um, but but I had a very different kind of life. I went to college when I was 16. I started Earthbound Farm with my husband when I was 20. And Earthbound grew from two and a half acres to being the largest grower of organic produce in the world. We were the first people to um, successfully package salad for retail sale, which my dad invented all the machinery. Yes. So that's how we grew so quickly. And, um, and I just had this really, really busy life. And so while my dad was writing, he wrote, he wrote this manuscript for about 10 years. He, he wrote from probably 1990 till, till 2000. And, um, and then he got Alzheimer's. And so he had Alzheimer's for 10 years before he died. So when I, so by the time he died, I, and I, and I, and I was aware enough of, of what, how special he was and his, his incredible transformation and his philosophy. And I had time in my life to start thinking about my history. It it was kind of too late. He was gone. Mm. And so finding this manuscript was like finding buried treasure. And and what it was, was it was his roadmap to healing. Um, 
yeah, so so it was an incredible experience, but but it didn't have that many details about his life. So he wrote it was the, the manuscript was it was it was it was very free flowing. He had some amazing memoir stories about different times in his life, some of his peak life experiences, but they didn't include any names or dates. They didn't include the name. Like he talked about his father a lot, but it, yeah. they didn't talk. You know, I didn't know anything about him. I mean, his, I didn't know his name, um, and he and, and so he kind of leapfrogged, and he probably wrote about fifteen memoir essays. In, in the manuscript, and then the most of the, the, the bulk of the manuscript was his philosophy. And his philosophy was written almost like he was a scientist, kind of in the third person. It wasn't, it wasn't very personal, whereas his memoir was so intimate and so alive. And then he did poetry, um, and his poems kind of captured his biggest revelations or his biggest emotions. But there was no timeline to it, no dates. And so when I decided I wanted to bring it into the world, I realized that I really needed to fill in the gaps in his story and that it really was his, his first person kind of intimate, more vulnerable voice that was his really engaging voice. You know, the philosophy just had, it was almost something like you read in a textbook. So the reason why it took me so many years is because I had to, I discovered a whole set of extended family, these Orthodox relatives that I never knew existed that had little postcards and letters. I got, I did research in Germany. My sister had done recordings of conversations with my dad that she found. There were just all of these. I found, I found different um, school, school like papers that my kids had done interviews with my dad at all different mm. ages. And so I took all of this information and I wrote, I basically wrote the whole book first person in my father's voice. And so it was this, it was almost like, I I won't say channeling him, but it it really was like this feeling his energetic kind of signature and, and, and I would be writing in his voice and I would just feel, you know, the energy of when he really landed on the page and so it was, it was like this puzzle, make, doing this puzzle of weaving together his story with his philosophy to, 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 to come up with the book that you so, so graciously read. Yes, Myra, I felt your dad's voice coming through. There were a couple times even I had to turn back to, to see, like, is this you speaking or him speaking? Because there was such unison in the voice coming through, which made this book really powerful. And I think for our listeners, something that that you can connect to really easily. Having I had memories come up in my own life, in my own mindset of when your dad speaks about how we can choose, you know, the past has happened, but are we going to keep living from that place and right. perspective versus really activating the muscles of our mind to adopt new beliefs and thoughts and um, the way he did that specifically that that you give us makes it just like a tangible roadmap and process that can be used. Like this is a self-help book, which is what surprised me. I didn't expect that just seeing the cover. So it was like delightful twists and turns. And also, is it accurate, Myra, that this is how you were able to connect with other members of your family that you hadn't 
been in touch with before your dad's Yeah, passing? yeah, that whole re- the, the whole research process. And you know, one of the things that I that I think is interesting about the book is I think that the book resonates with people who don't identify as being spiritual seekers, you know, mm-hmm. who haven't been exposed to these concepts before because my dad kind of we, you know, me and my dad, my dad takes you on the journey of his life where he sh- he you, you see things through through his eyes and he shares his perceptions of how our beliefs are so conditioned by our culture, how um you know how 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 we we believe our beliefs so much and we're willing to die for our beliefs and sacrifice so much for our beliefs and so much of our conflict comes from our beliefs and how we really have to free ourselves from from these from from these culturally imposed belief systems that also cause us so much pain and so much self criticism because yes. we aren't we aren't matching up to these ideals that we've been taught we're supposed to match up to. Right, right, and then we keep thinking those thoughts, and and that your dad, with his background, was able to um, to heal himself. And I know you grew up, like you mentioned, in a spiritual community in New York. And I wondered if, did you notice a change in your dad just being around him, having him raise you when he started to really work with shifting his thoughts and his beliefs? Was there like a turning point for you and your sister when that was happening? I just kind of wondered what it was like for you emotionally. Yeah, you know, I think that it was it was a slow change. So so we did it there. It, it, it was it was happening over a long period of time. But I would say by the time I was a teenager, my dad, you know, it was when I was a teenager, I did it. I didn't appreciate how remarkable it was for a man with his history to be so happy and free. You know, he, he, one of the ways that my dad healed was he really went back in time and re-engaged with his inner child and that part of himself that saw life as this mystery and this joyous adventure and this curiosity in him. And he really brought those qualities back into himself as a middle-aged adult. So he would do things like he always loved accordions. He never had any musical training. He bought an accordion and he would just walk around the house just with this huge smile on his face and his t-shirt, you know, playing the accordion and just his head would just move with this music that didn't sound good, but he just, he just had so much fun, like a, like a two or three year old playing, you know? So I remember as a teenager, just rolling my eyes and being a little embarrassed, you know, hoping my dad wouldn't behave like that if I had friends over, yes. you know, and now I look back and I say, look at this man who was so free and who really just, you know, reached for joy so unabashedly and and I appreciate it so much, but I didn't I didn't appreciate it when I was a teenager, you know? No, of course not. Of course you wouldn't. And Myra, I wonder one of the stories and caught a metaphor that stood out to me in your book is when your dad was a boy, he invented a universal key that can un- unlock any door. And I just really saw that as a metaphor for what he did later in his life to unlock his mind and transform his own consciousness. And I wonder if, if you'd want to share the story about just your dad oh, always yeah. wanted to create new things and make things better than they were before. 
That is really perceptive of you because, yeah, so my dad, so, so his father had a hardware store in this little town called Yvozno in Poland. And his father didn't really like having a hardware store. His father was, was, was really a scholar and he wanted to spend his time learning, but he needed to, to have a living. And my dad loved the hardware store. To him, it was like a toy store. And he, you know, was, even though he didn't do well in school, he could figure all these things out. He was so inventive. So one of the things that he invented when he was just, I believe he was seven, was a key that could open any door. And so when people would come to the hardware store and say, because, you know, that's where the locksmith was, oh, we locked ourselves out of our house. We, we need, you know, we need someone to let us in. My, my, my grandfather would point at this little little seven-year-old boy and say, take him, he'll do it. And people would be insulted that this man would send this little boy, but then my dad would go with this little key and he would open the door. And so he invented this key that would open any door. And I think, you know, that was the way that my father created all of these inventions. Like when he invented, so when, when Drew and I started our package salad, so we were on this little raspberry farm in Carmel Valley for, it was, we moved there in 1984. We just thought we'd be there for a year or so, and then go off to real careers, go to graduate school, do something, you know, respectable, but we were just so in love with living on the farm and we started growing baby lettuces and then we started washing them and bagging them for our own use. And we thought maybe we could market this product and make enough money to stay on the farm. And my dad had just retired and he basically would go to the junkyard and he would buy, you know, a bicycle bell for, you know, for pennies and a little, and little weights and little levies things. And he invented all these machines, little scales and baggers and shoots and he turned our whole living room into a little salad you know processing factory <laughs> so i always trace you know the history of earthbound farm and really packaged salads in a lot of ways to my dad so he he everything that was done he would look at it and figure out how to make it more efficient how to make it better and his 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 career was in the jewelry business but um so so what he did is he really looked at eventually looked at himself and looked at he had been depressed for decades and he had never really put his mechanical mind and his genius on his own personal emotional problems and then once he did that became his passion that became his quest for eternal sunshine looking looking for how, how can i figure out how to live a happy life and he said that it was as if you know, he hit middle age and it was if, as if an alarm clock went off in his head and he was no longer satisfied living the life he was living. That was basically a life of emotional isolation, fear, mm. you know, and depression. And he figured out how to break free. And, you know, it's been really interesting because I, um, I feel like the things that my dad learned to overcome his problems are, are so apropos right now in this pandemic with, with all the fear and the uncertainty that's going on. Because what my dad really had to do was his past, which, which you know, he said his, his, his memories and his belief systems from the past were creating his, his present and his projection on the future. And one of his keys was, was he, had, he had to change his thought patterns, but also really living in the present, not living in the past. And I mm -hmm. think for all of us, you know, being mindful of the moment and not getting pulled into these thoughts of some, you know, terrifying future 
it's it's really you know it's really how we have to get through this is we have to we have to be prepared and we have to be proactive but emotionally we have to really regulate our nervous system you know this is a marathon this isn't a sprint this isn't going to end quickly and and so being present and being in our bodies and being in the moment and that that was something that my dad got really good at and he's and one of his quotes that I think is beautiful as he said, it's not that I deny the past. I just don't live in it. Yes. And I love that quote. Yeah. I, I love that. And so I'm, I'm really, I almost feel like what's going on right now. It, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like when you, you know, go, you know, decide you're going to get in shape and you're going to work out every day and you're going to, you know, w- work these muscles and get your, and get your heart going and you improve your cardiovascular system. It's like with all the stress and tension now, it, there's so much incentive to, to ground ourselves, you know, in the moment, in the body, learn how to think positive thoughts, not get pulled forward into an uncertain future with our anxiety, keep our hearts open. So I'm just feeling so grateful that I have my dad's wisdom at this time because you know people are saying to me oh my god I feel so bad for you that your book is coming out you know at this horrible time and you're having to cancel your book launch and your events and you know and that's true but at the same time I'm feeling so grateful that that my that that my book is here for me and for other people during this difficult time I I really agree and that resonates with me because this is a time of such opportunity and during the worst things that have happened on our planet, much like the Holocaust, the most amazing things have been birthed from those challenges and and difficulties. And your dad, just I sense too how his love of creating new things from seven years old, uh, inventing that key that could open any door, gave him meaning and purpose, feeling valuable and useful. I'm thinking of passages that or in the book where he got really delighted at various times in his life where he could even help you and Drew on the farm. That just gave him such light. And I think right now that is something that we can all tune into. Like what brings us delight? Is it our meaning and purpose? We do have some more time to be reflective about those things. You know, now as opposed to times when we're busy, just moving, from event to event, place to place. There's so much more time right now to go within. And um, so I'm seeing that as being one of the great opportunities of this time today. And Uh, your dad really got that. And you articulate that in the book. I love that you said looking for delight because, um, you know, I do, I do a, I do a newsletter every Friday and, and you can sign, people can sign up. My, my website is the name of the book quest for eternal sunshine.com. And I've been doing, um, I've been, I've been doing a little, a little letter to readers on top of the pre-existing content that I'd already planned because this pandemic came out of the blue. And, and, and so, so every week has been this affirmation. And the first one was now is a good time to be peaceful. Peaceful. Tomorrow is a Friday newsletter is now is a good time to be grateful. And then I'm starting to write for next week. Now is a good time to be joyful. And I think one of the things that I really learned from my dad 
is that he, he wrote about how he felt so guilty being happy when he was a boy growing up in Poland. Um, and, and because his, he, it was, his town was a somber town. It was a coal mining town. There were a lot of fatalities. And then, you know, as World War II was starting, you know, it was, it was a very difficult time. And he, he said he felt guilty for being happy. And so that was part of his process of repression was repressing his emotions of joy and then also repressing his emotions of sorrow because he didn't feel like, like anybody, he wasn't allowed to feel sorrow or, or joyful. And the other biggest gift that I got from my dad is that I used to feel like being loyal to my heritage, to my extended family that was murdered in the Holocaust, to my people that were murdered in the Holocaust, meant that I somehow had to keep this suffering alive in me and this pain alive in me. And my dad, through his complete embracing of joy, I, I feel he, he not only showed me kind of how to do it, but he gave me permission to do it. He encouraged me to do it. I, 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 there was this transformation where I felt the best way to honor him is to be joyful. And so what I'm just starting to think about, to write about for, for next week, is that we, we shouldn't feel guilty. I don't know if you, I'm curious if you think if it's, if it's, if it's kind of more of my heritage thing, but to feel guilty for being, to feel, to feel joyful during a difficult time, that part of maturing in life and learning how to kind of live a happy life is being able to hold joy and sorrow simultaneously, being able to have, you know, there's fear comes up, but then there's also that observer, that part of you that is, that is grounded in a more time place at the same time as your anxiety is activated. And so I think encouraging people to look for, you, you use the word delight, I believe, to look, to look yeah. for delight and understand that that is so nurturing and that this is a time where we really need to nurture ourselves so that we have the resilience to kind of face this time of, of unknown where we're really are collectively as a human family, we're, we're facing threats that, that we haven't really faced before in our lifetimes. Myra, that's so well said. And yes, I think what you're speaking about this topic of feeling guilty for being happy it is applicable. I'm hearing from people now, even in my therapy sessions, like those of us that are still able to work remotely more easily than others and still have our jobs feeling on one hand relief and on the other hand guilt because of so many people that aren't employed. And one of the things I've had to learn in my own life as it's gotten better and better over the last few years is that we have to maintain ourselves in the highest vibration of love and prosperity in order to give, in order to be of service. If we're as depleted as the people we want to serve or help, we're of no benefit. And so I know for myself right now, I'm, I'm being careful about what I listen to and read and watch so that I can maintain the vibration of the healer, the healing practitioner, right, to be able right. to meet with people right now in therapy remotely so I can help them with their fears and concerns and help them self-soothe and develop the capacities that are in your book around mindfulness and focusing on this moment and what we want to experience moving forward instead of the fear that the pandemic produces to stay in that 
lower vibration of it. So I think too, like the, the guilt and the shame around when things are going well for us personally, but they might not be collectively for others is definitely a big, a big theme. And my opinion on it is, is yes, that we do have to find our own happiness. I know your dad's last words, I jotted it down before he passed away were the words cheerful and your mom, Edith, that we do have to find our own joy regardless of what's going on, because that enables us to be of value, to be of service, that we really have to know we deserve that. Like we deserve our happiness, no matter what's going on. And, and really being able to kind of screen out the criticisms of, of others, which I think really relate to more the criticisms we place upon ourselves, the judgments we lay against ourselves. And that's what I wrote about in in my book about the journey of self-forgiveness and really supporting ourselves from the inside out with the thoughts that we are telling ourselves. And so I wonder if that's addressing what you were asking. Yeah, I I, I thought that that's, yeah, gosh, I could talk to you for hours because, you know, that. Oh, that, 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 I want to go back to something you said sooner, but I, but I do want to say that one of the biggest things that I found in my personal healing journey, and that I think was the biggest key in my dad's healing journey is what you were just saying is generating an atmosphere of self-love and acceptance inside ourselves. Yes. Um, because, uh, you know, and, and, and people, people, you know, people say, yes, you know, you have to love yourself, but, you know, it, but you, you, when you start experiencing it yourself and you start seeing all the patterns that start to unwind when you are getting the love from the inside and you don't feel like you need to be a certain way to get it from the outside, it, yes. it's so, it's so liberating and it feels so good. But one thing I want to go back to with, which, which is what you were talking about, about the importance of thinking positive thoughts. One of the things that my dad talked about a lot just like it's important for us to keep our vibrations high i think part of it too and my dad talked about this a lot is how contagious thoughts are mm-hmm. how powerful thoughts are and i think for somebody who lived through the holocaust who lived in a time where the belief systems from you know that, that you know from hitler and the nazis um, you, where, where he saw the virulence of how, you know, of, of hatred and fear and how contagious those thoughts were. Um, and then also when you see how contagious positive thoughts are, you know, I had this incredible experience um, a number of years ago, there was a big fire in my community and, and they were, and we were, so we were overrun with fire, with firemen, you know, they were, they were everywhere. And one person on our road put up a sign, thank you, firemen. And then the next mm. day, like three more people put up a sign. And the next day, you know, they just kept being, by the end, there were dozens of signs. We love you, firemen, firemen, you're oh. our heroes. And there were just so many signs. And you could just see that this gratitude and this appreciation was contagious. And I, I noticed, I actually went to the pet store to um, stock up on pet food, you know, just in case I have three big dogs. And the woman that was working there was so, this was right when we were ordered to um, shelter in place in, Cal, in, you know, in Carmel, which was a little bit before Los Angeles. And she was so positive and she was like, everything's going to be okay. This is what we need to do to keep people safe. And she, it was just her positivity and her calm was so contagious. And I left with that same feeling 
And then I noticed how, you know, when I talked to my mother-in-law who's stuck in Manhattan, who's so anxious, how, how, how I, it's so hard to not absorb the anxiety. And it right. really made me say, I want to be one of those people that spread the peace and spread the calm because I see how contagious it is and how powerful it is. I think that's such a great example. Thank you for sharing that story with one sign, thanking the firemen and how how our thoughts are contagious and we can spread a pandemic of love and support or or the alternative. That's such a great example. I, I love how you said spread that. Yes. And that's what, you know, with the fire, it was like these positive thoughts, you know, they, they're as flammable as the, as, as the wildfire. They spread like the wildfire. And I, I went to our local Safeway and there was a fireman, you know, giving out some information for people to know if the fire gets close and, and you know, because there were a lot of evacuations and stuff. And I, and I said to him, I was like, have you seen this before, these signs? He's like, we have never seen this before. And I can't tell you that this validates my life's purpose. I, my mm-hmm. heart is full every moment to see this gratitude. You know, we're putting our lives on the line and to know that we are loved and appreciated, I, I can't even put into words what it meant. So it was so touching for me to just see this, you know, this middle-aged fireman just almost in tears by his reaction to the outpouring of the community. Yes. Myra, I want to take a quick break and come back and share with our listeners one of your father's poems, My Own Nurse. So I'll be right back with you. Yeah. And then we can talk about that. No, you're welcome. To you all, the listeners of All Things Therapy, I have created a crowdfunding campaign. If you enjoy my podcast and want to support my work, I invite you to check that out by going to patreon.com forward slash all things therapy. It's all one word. I talk a bit about how your support would just help me to keep researching and reading and interviewing my guests and putting out more material around mental health and well-being. So if you're interested, check that out at patreon.com forward slash all things therapy. Myra, you include a portion of the book at the end with a small collection of your dad's poems. And it really struck me as we're having this conversation right now. And I had jotted it down before because it it resonated with my own life experience and the path I'm on and what my podcast is about. Your dad's poem called My Own Nurse. And he says, I am my own nurse. I heal my wounds with tenderness and care. I comfort myself with love and understanding. And that's an excerpt. And I just wanted to share that with our listeners because we are our own. I had never thought of it in that way until reading your dad's words. We are oh. our own nurse, our own. Again, my my book is about self-healing, but I never thought of it like being a nurse. What a loving image. And your dad used visualization. So he, it just gave me a visualization around a nurse and a caretaker. And I just wanted to share that. That's really sweet. And I think, you know, one of the things that I think my dad did is he had such a vivid imagination. And Mm -hmm. so I think that one of the things that I've learned sort of as I've been, you know, kind of more recently than when I first started writing the book is I think part of why my dad's visualizations were so effective was that he, he experienced them 
so completely in his body. Like yes. one of the things that he did, there's a chapter called Re-Envisioning My World, where he went back and he imagined growing up in a world that, that wasn't fraught with war and, and having a very... Oh, that you know, was a great chapter. Oh my gosh, yes. Please talk about yeah, this. Yeah, I, that I love that. And, yeah, and he and he went back and he just, you know, he, his parents were, you know, they never showed affection and his mom was always kind of exhausted from raising six kids. And he went back and imagined his his mom who loved him, you know, just being buoyant and joyful and dancing and playing. And he, he, he went and he reimagined his life from the moment he was a baby and he watched himself growing up as so so happy and so nurtured and so loved. And I think what he was doing is he was teaching himself to feel those emotions. Like, you know, I, I was at a trauma workshop with, with the Dr. Um, Bessel Vanderkock. Oh, at he's SLN. a favorite of mine. Yes. Oh my gosh. He's I so amazing. And he was doing, we were doing some psychodrama after we were, you know, had bonded for a few days. And he said that he's never seen anything more effective because, so psychodrama is where, you know, where the person who's working on an issue talks about an issue, say there's an issue with their father, and you have all these participants who are acting roles. And then there's the ideal father and the ideal mother. And this is what I think my dad did in his imagination. And so he says, just when these people could get that tenderness and that understanding, or if it was an abusive parent, they had a parent who they could completely trust when they could feel that in their body it was they they literally changed they literally changed because somehow there was a new set point that they understood deep within themselves and so that's why i think my dad's visualizations were so effective was because he felt them completely. It wasn't just a mental exercise. It was a reprogramming of his whole system. Yes. And that chapter, again, I'm so glad you highlighted it. It's so powerful because it reminded me of the teachings that are abounding more now around tell the story as you want it to be. And your dad, someone with his history, able to tell a new story, it, it really elevates um, just the power of that technique that he did go through and tell a different story of his childhood and felt the emotion of it as he visualized it. And that's the key component in transformation is, is having real authentic emotion around the new story, like how you right, wanted it right. to have been. And that really does affect the brain to release chemicals that then shift and change our emotional states of being and our lives, the way that we begin to live. And it also, it frees us because one of the, you know, someplace my dad says, I mean, I kind of know the book by heart, but I don't remember exactly where, where he said it, but it's, he, he realized that our past, no matter our travails, does not have to be fixed and stagnant, that we have the power to create a new and better yesterday. And it, yeah. it gives us this freedom. It's not like, oh, well, we're stuck because we had this abusive mother or because this or that or this. Is that we, we have freedom to create the life that we want to create. And that's, that's what my dad did. He said, I will not be defined as a victim. I will not be defined as a Holocaust survivor. I'm going to let go of that identification yes. and live the most beautiful life I can live. And I'm going to write a new script. And it is never too late. And I think 
age that that's, you know, when you were saying in the beginning how, you know, people are afraid to read a book that has the word Holocaust in it. I think, I think why this book is actually so inspirational and so uplifting is it lets you know, no matter your past, because it doesn't get much worse than what my dad experienced, you have the power to live a beautiful, free, joyful, liberated life. It's yes, yes, and yes. And I even had jotted down in my notes, your dad's poem yesterday that I think you were just referencing it when oh. you were just speaking about it. I, I, I wrote down the line, I am as God created me because that is also in A Course in Miracles, which I read almost daily. And it just oh. struck me, your dad really organically, you know, like you, like creating these techniques to heal and, and identifying as he wanted to be. I feel like you just said it so much better than I'm saying right now. No, no, so again, but that's, no, no, that's that so beautiful. Um, hey, can, you know, can I read a really short poem yeah, that I love? Okay. It. Okay. It's called the happiness road. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know. I just, it's like my dad was so sweet. And when you think of what he went through and that this is, these are the poems that he wrote and where he arrived, it's just, it's such an inspiration. Okay. I just think you, you know, I think you, you, you and your readers will appreciate this. Yeah. Walk freely and joyfully on the happiness road where trees grow tall and flowers blossom. Find the sanctuary deep in your heart where happiness abides. You are as, as important to the sun as the sun is to you. Know yourself as love. That's beautiful. That is beautiful. Thank you for reading that. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're so sweet. And it's, you know, quest for eternal sunshine and you're as important to the sun as the sun is to you. Yeah. So yeah, I think the eternal sunshine's always there and, and it's just, you know, now we're, we're in this really, really different time, but you know, it's like, I feel like it's like where I actually wrote a um, essay that's in spirituality and health right now. If you, I don't know if you know that magazine about looking at this pandemic, it just published yesterday from the point of view of mother earth. And yes, what what powerful. would our 4.5 billion year old planet have to say to her most disruptive of her 8.7 million species? You know, we we really do need a time out. We need a yes. time out. You know, look where our planet is heading environmentally and socially. And I'm not saying that I would have asked for this, but I'm saying that if we can learn some big lessons for this and it's not just hardship, it's a real opportunity for growth, that, that would be a blessing and show that our species is, is truly intelligent, you know? Yes, Myra. And moving forward, we can really change the outcome for our planet by learning what is being presented to us right now. Yeah, because we've shown we can, we can change our lives so dramatically, so quickly when we have to. Yes. So Myra, where can listeners find your book? So, so the book is available now for pre-order, you know, any place books are sold, Barnes and Nobles, Amazon, you know, the different indie presses. If people, I would love people to go to my website. It's quest for eternal sunshine.com. There's links to buy the book there. It tells you more about the book. Um, and then I have my newsletter that comes out every Friday that shares my dad's wisdom. And it's really become part of my mission to really, to really continue my dad's legacy of trying to have there be more love and compassion and peace on the earth. 
and I'm really compiling every every day more and more tools for healing. Everything's available for free. So I'd love people to visit my website, and um, and, and that would be a great place to, to look for links where to buy the book. Myra, um, I'm having this kind of download that as you're even in your own life that you're you're helping our bodies with organic food, organic farming, like our physical bodies, and now our emotional and spiritual bodies with the work that you're offering through questforeternalsunshine.com. Thank you. That's yeah. really, that's really, yeah, I'm starting to feel a little. That essay that I wrote where I talked about Mother Earth, it was, it was almost like I had two separate careers, you know, my, my, my farming, organic farming, organic pioneering career, and now spreading my dad's wisdom. And I am, it's beautiful that you said that. Thank you so much, because I'm starting to see how they're not really that separate. They really no. are intertwined. And it's about, it's about healing and a return to wholeness, you know, both physically yes. and emotionally. Exactly. And, you know, that's the work that you're doing, too, is 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 remembering that we we have everything that we need inside inside ourselves. We, yes. I'm just delighted, Myra, that you were my guest today. Thank you. I would love to meet you one day in person. And Me too. I, just, I would love it. That'd be awesome. I just love this work and your dad. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me and the great work you do. And I'm going to pre-order your book as soon as we awesome. hang up. And I'm going to subscribe to your newsletter. <laughs> Thank you. I so appreciate it. And you're going to be part of my inspiration for next week's, um, next week's little thing about, about it's a good time to feel joyful. So thank you. You, you really, I, you said some beautiful things and I love talking with you. You're welcome. Me too. Have a great rest of your day. You too. Thanks so I much. Bye-bye. You're welcome. Bye-bye. That concludes my interview today with Myra Goodman. She is the co-author, along with her father, Mendek Rubin, of the book Quest for Eternal Sunshine, A Holocaust Survivor's Journey from Darkness to Light. Find it at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, and at her website, questforeternalsunshine.com. I'm really wishing you sincere love and health Right now, reach out to me at nolatherapy.com for remote therapy sessions and anything else that I can help you with right now. All my love. Bye-bye. You're listening to All Things Therapy with Lisa Tahir, only on LA Talk Radio. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.